fact that some law firms do such a great job for their clients and kill it in the work and they're not profitable drives me bananas. Hey, law firm owners, welcome to the Your Practice Master podcast. We're your host. I'm Michael Strauch. Call me MPS for short. And I'm Richard James. Welcome to today's show. We're going to be talking to you about the things that are getting in the way or they're struggling with at law firms. Is that right? Yeah, the biggest weakness facing your law firm right now. Weakness. So the SWAT, right? The strength, weakness, opportunity, and threat. What's a threat to your law firm? What's a weakness to your law firm? Yeah, well... They may or may not like to hear this answer, but I think this podcast is a little bit more about giving them what they need to hear, not just what they want to hear. Yeah. So, yes, I agree with you. It's sometimes my wife, your mother, would tell me that my least, her least favorite characteristic about me is my willingness and ability to hold the mirror up to somebody's face. (laughs) (laughs) When she suggests that I should often take time and look in the mirror myself. Well, I think we all could. Yeah. Yes. So to be clear, I'm a hot mess, just like you are. My business is no different than yours. Take the I, oath. Right? Yeah. Made every mistake there is in the book. Uh, it's why we can do what we do because of the number of mistakes we've made. I mean, you've been doing this since you were 13. Yeah. And so <laughs> you've gained, you know, uh, Maxim Gladwell's 10,000 hours in your short period of life. and. I've been doing this since I was 18, and I'm 53, and so I've gained the 10,000 hours that everybody talks about. It just means that you keep, you know, you've made enough mistakes to learn from them. And so we're going to talk about that one big thing that's in the way for law firms, and that is you. You. Yeah. We don't mean it in a direct way. Of course not. We already know they're what? Intelligent? You made it through law school, you passed the bar exam. Intelligence is not in question at all. Work ethic? Also not in question. For many of you, you might have started in another firm putting in heavy hours, and now you shifted over to owning your own firm. And just to shift to owning your own firm, we know how much is involved in doing that. So work ethic's not in question at all. Desire to serve their clients? I would say, for the most part, not in question at all. Not in question at all. I mean, I, this isn't a question of their integrity or their willingness. We're, we're talking about three fundamental things we're, we're talking about first we'll put it under the category of knowledge yep we've got some notes here so i'll we refer do. to them right yes. so the, the second thing we're going to talk about bottleneck and the third thing we're going to talk about is bright and shiny object syndrome yes. right and so let's talk about knowledge what do we mean when we say that yeah i mean so look when, when we talk about knowledge you, you got to look at it from this perspective you've invested lots of time money resources to become an excellent lawyer, right? To, to, to hone your craft and become an excellent lawyer. But you probably have not spent that much time, money, and resources at becoming a great small business owner. Hmm. Yeah. So we say we fill the gap, right? That's what our job is here. Exactly. Right? We're going to invest our time, money, and resources into creating this information for you so we can help you fill the gap. By the way, why don't we tell them about the uh, gentleman's agreement? agreement. Yeah, Yeah, gentleman's agreement. agreement. Yeah, Yeah. So look, we put our time, money, and resources into this podcast for you. We want to make sure you're getting value out of it. All we ask for in in exchange is that if you enjoy this and it's not your first time watching or listening on whatever platform you're on, 
that you give us the opportunity go ahead and hit that subscribe button or follow button depending on your platform turn the bell notifications on and if it's helpful feel free to share it with a peer or a colleague of yours as well that's our only ask to you on this show yep basic gentleman's agreement so back to the show the this idea of a knowledge base so as michael said this is how much time money and resources you put in becoming a great lawyer at your particular practice area and this is how much most small law firm owners put into becoming great small business owners and it's not because of a lack of interest necessarily it's often because of a lack of time and some other things we're going to talk about and our job is to help fill the gap right to understand how to actually run a small business now I think we should address something in the room, right? Because there are some thought leaders out there Uh that teach, but my experience is they've never actually done it themselves. Yeah. So look, I think you're spot on with that. And and some have their strategies and ways that they've developed over time. But why don't you tell them a little bit more about how that differs with us a little bit? Well, so to be careful, I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody. I just, you want to be careful. You you will become the average of the five people you spend your most time with. That's what Jim Rohn said, right? And so I want to spend time with people who have actually done it. Right. And so I also prefer to do work with people who've actually done it in my industry. I can remember years ago, I had E-Myth guy and he was from Michael Gerber's organization and I paid him a whole bunch of money to be my consultant. And that's when I owned the pet supply business. Right. And so one of the challenges was every time I talked to the guy, we'd get on the phone and I felt like every single call I was educating him about my business because he didn't know enough to give me proper advice. Yeah, I was in a similar boat. I I invested money and time in a mastermind and I loved the connections. The connections were great, but prior business, no one was in YouTube. And so it was hard for them to really relate and provide feedback on the business and where there were opportunities or where I was going wrong, which obviously could be a little frustrating. Yeah. And and so there's the mismatch of they don't understand nomenclature or they don't understand the industry. But then the real dangerous one is there's this mismatch in what the desired outcome is. True. Because so many people have this desire, like thought leaders have this desired outcome of generating more leads and making your marketing work or generating more revenue even. But you know how many attorneys I've met that their life sucks because they don't make the profitability? I know we covered this in another topic, but be really careful about who you listen to. I'm just, just for what it's worth. We come from this perspective of the knowledge gap that we want to fill is understand fundamentally how you can grow more profit in your firm. Now, the reason why you want to be able to do that is because step one, what you you get to keep some of it. But step two, what does having more profit in their firm allow them to do? Well, it allows them to reinvest in the firm and grow it. And grow it, which allows you fundamentally to serve more families. So if you're really good at what you do and you change people's lives, because in our opinion, you do God's work, because it's, we listen, we hear all the phone calls. So we know the challenges you guys face on a daily, guys and gals, sorry, face on a daily basis when it comes to your clientele, right? They've got real challenges. Very and, much so. And you save them a whole bunch of time, aggravation, and in many cases, money, if you do your job right. And so... I believe you should be able to acquire more of those people by investing your profit back into your company and growing it. But when you grow it, grow it so that it maintains profitability. So this is the lens that we view this through, right? So 
for, for us, it's this lack of knowledge of not only how to run a small business, but how to be a great manager, a great leader, right? What are some of the biggest challenges you see when it comes to, you know, owners of small law firm managing or leading their team? Like, do they, do you feel like they know how to do it? Some better than others, but I, I mean, the biggest thing I see is just there's not enough time training knowledge passed down to the employee, right? I just don't see enough time invested or maybe the, the way we come across to an employee can occasionally be condescending in a way. Uh, There's a reason for that. I know there is. I <laughs> figured that out through the years. And you have that attorneys, because they're intelligent, because they're hardworking, because they've been, you know, beaten to death by law school, you know, browbeated with a certain certain way of thinking. They make an assumption that everybody else that comes and works for their firm should kind of act the same way and have the same talent and yeah. skills. And oftentimes they don't. And it's right. harder and harder and harder to find those people these days. And this yeah. is why we've come to believe through the years that, no, no, systems should run your law firm and people should run your systems, right? And so... Like, have you found when lawyers who were maybe originally cantankerous, let's call it that way, they were maybe a little bit, you know, not as friendly with their team. Sure. Once they put systems in place, they become better leaders and better managers? Naturally, because now you've actually got structure in place across all of the functions of your firm. And then when those people that you put in place to run those systems understand how it runs, not everything is pure chaos. So there's just more structure brought to everything. Yeah. By the way, I'm not suggesting to you that this is easy. Like, okay, (laughs) running a small business is hard. It doesn't matter if it's a law firm, any small business is hard. But running a law firm is harder. <laughs> it is. It, it just is. It is. Uh, you've got opposing counsel. You've got judges or trustees. You've got the bar association. Then you have clients and their real life problems. And then you have the matter that you have to actually manage to get a good result. And oftentimes it means the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. And it's a very, very difficult business. The product itself is a difficult business. There's a reason why you, you can be as profitable as you can be. Yeah. The fact that some law firms do such a great job for their clients and kill it in the work and they're not profitable drives me bananas. It's disappointing to see. Because they work so hard at being so good and create such value and then they work for nothing. How many times, I wrote that book, The Favor, around this idea of of Attorney Johnson and and, and how he was growing, but his income didn't grow along with it. His firm got bigger. He had more employees, but he didn't make any more damn money. Right. You know, and and so I know it was a fictional story that I wrote, but and it's so true. It happens so often. You see that come through more often than you'd like to see. That's for sure. Now, one of the things I think it happens is because the second point we talked about with them being a bottleneck. Mm, yeah. Why, what, talk about that. What is the issue with them being a bottleneck? Where, where well, are they a bottleneck and why is it a problem? Usually a bottleneck in just about every system in the firm at some point. And there's a reason for that because if you start out small and solo and it's just you, you're used to wearing all the hats. Mm-hmm. So you have to be the one overseeing every function of the firm. And so when you do bring an employee in, it's hard to stop wearing that hat and to be micromanaging that particular process. So when it comes to different functions of the firm that I see attorneys, the law firm owner, become the bottleneck, it's intake, 
right? They're still answering the phones plus managing all of the no, cases. No, no. The phones are ringing their cell phone. And, yeah, sure. And then, and then it go, tries to go to voicemail because the attorney's in court. Right. But it, there's no voicemail because the voicemail says voicemail no, is full. Full. Yeah, <laughs> inbox is full. Right. So now Bottleneck number one. <laughs> bottleneck number one. Now <laughs> our, our uh, ability to get more leads into set appointments is at capacity because there's literally no capacity in your voicemail to even return a phone call. Right. So, so you got that. That's that's one bottleneck, right? If you carry down the line, you've got the next bottleneck, which is consultations, right? Most attorneys are still running, most, but most attorneys that run a small law firm are still running their own consultations. Well, I would tell you that sales is probably the most on-demand role in a law firm, okay? Mm-hmm. Because you have clients that have a need at different given points in a day and you've kind of got to drop everything, run a consultation, never mind the fact that's the lifeblood of your business. Without running consultations, you don't have any clients, but it chews up so much capacity in your schedule. And, and then they have to get the work done after they sell the client. Right, which is the next part, and that's where the next bottleneck comes into play. Now you've sold the client, congratulations, good work. Now you got to go and get all the work done, and depending on how many team members you've got on your firm, now this is where you start to see that feast and famine cycle kick mm-hmm. in, because now all of a sudden you've done all this marketing to generate leads, to get the deal closed. Well, now you've actually got to go fulfill the work, and if you're fulfilling the work, now you don't have time to answer the new lead calls and run the consultation. So now you got to turn off marketing, hopefully not, but in many cases you do. So that way- Or ignore it. Or ignore it, which is almost worse. And now you get into this feast and famine cycle. So you could see every system in a law firm, you start to become a bottleneck at some point. And they just look like this. I mean, they just have this look on their face that just says- help. I don't, I can't, what did I do? What did I sign up for? Well, just me talking about each of those bottlenecks. I'm oh. like, oh my gosh, this, <laughs> that's right? a lot of different functions in a firm. I mean, I don't blame you. I, I would have the look on my face too. Yeah. And we didn't even talk about getting paid. No, that's a whole separate conversation, right? You close the deal, you do the work, you got them on a payment plan or on a retainer. And now you're chasing down payments to make sure that what they said that they were going to pay, they actually pay in full. And now you've got to go capture a percentage of that. And you're wearing that hat too, oh, by the way. Now, it comes back to sometimes, uh, again, to bring this full circle, the reason why they become a bottleneck is, is so, so we know, okay, we know what bottlenecks that happen and we know what problems it caused. Sure. Why does it happen? So, so I, I think the why it happens is, stems to the first point we made, which is, Sometimes they expect that their staff should just be smart enough to be able to handle, hardworking and smart enough to handle the, the job they give them, and many times they end up disappointed. Do you, do you ever end up disappointed when you have new staff sign on with your company? Yeah, I mean, that's the reality, right? It happens. And so they, they get trained that they, if it's going to get done right, it's got to get done by me. Do you agree with this? I agree with that. And I would take it one step further. There's also several law firm owners that are listening to this that are small and solo that are at that place where they've realized they're the bottleneck, but haven't actually even hired staff. I I would say it even starts there, like being willing and open to take that next step of leveraging staff to be able to remove yourself from those roles. Yeah. Well, and 
they weren't taught how to be a manager. Right. Maybe they're introverted by nature. They really don't want to be a manager. And so it freaks them out that they're going to have to be employees. They've heard horror stories from all of their, <laughs> you know, their peers about having bad staff mm-hmm. and staff stealing from them. Hey, listen, we've all, we've heard it. We've heard, we've heard staff members have stolen from the clients before they came into our world at a tune of 200, $250,000, right? Because there was no system running the firm. The firm put all their trust in a human being. Yep. Not having the trust in the system and allow good human beings to run the system, right? We got it in reverse. The paradigm there, the yeah. The paradigm was changed. And so, the, you know, for you, it's a, if you're a bottleneck for the firm and you find you are that bottleneck because of just basic trust issues, then that's a mental thing that you've got to figure out, start with, okay, I'm going to be committed to learn how to put systems in place. Mm-hmm. And then you have to be, okay, once I have the systems in place, I got to, I got to trust that I got to trust somebody. You got to trust somebody. And then once you've actually taken those initiatives, we got to be careful not to get caught in the third point, which is that bright, shiny object. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. One more thing on the bottleneck thing. So before I go there, if you're mm-hmm. okay with that. Yeah. So, so this idea that you're the bottleneck, the other thing is, Jim Rohn used to say this, stop majoring in minor things. So I don't know if you have an example of when you did this as a business owner, but I can tell you me. So I remember way back when I was 23 years old, I was in the, no, I was 24. I was in the funeral business and my best friend's dad died. And this was in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And it was like a 60 car funeral. Now you probably don't know what that means even even though you were kind of raised around that business most of you might know what that means a 60 car funeral is a big deal this is an irish funeral in scranton pennsylvania right? and so it's my friend's dad's funeral i he he chose to come to my funeral home even though it was across town like in our town you didn't cross the river mm. to go do business with a funeral home over there. You did business with the funeral home on that side of the river, and it was an Irish funeral home. Mm. And so I'm a German funeral home across the river. I mean, unheard of that he came over there. So I'm thinking, boy, I'm going to be able to win people over. So I want to make a great impression. Yep. And I've got these guys who have been working with me now. I've, they've been working with my family for 10 years, 20 years. They've been working for me for at least a year now. And I know what they're capable of, but I want it perfect. And so I think to myself, I got to make sure it's perfect. I likely parked every single one of those 60 cars so that it was lined up perfectly. Mm-hmm. And my uncle's standing up on the porch and he's watching me. And the guys are all standing like this. There's four guys standing there watching me park every single car. And I felt so good about what I did. And uh-huh. the guys even said, oh, good job, Richie. Good job. You know what I mean? And my uncle came up. And afterwards, after it was all said and done, and he said, hey, he goes, he goes, nice job with those cars. He goes, by the way, while you were parking all those cars, there were three ladies that needed something inside, and your grandmother helped them out. And there was two changes in the car list that, that I took care of for you. He said, he goes, if you keep being the car parker, you can't be the general. He says, great job parking the cars, but you just spent a whole bunch of time doing things that you shouldn't be doing because there's other people that can do it. Even if they couldn't park the car as good as you could, they could get it really, really close. And it wasn't a big deal if they got it 80 or 85%, right? And so I think lawyers get caught 
because they're professionals into having a really hard time of letting go of the, let's call them the 15 or $20 in today's day and age, $20 an hour jobs, $20, $25 an hour yep. jobs, right? They have a hard time letting go. They, they, they're, they're billing out at $500 an hour. And yes, you should be billing out at $500 an hour by now, just saying, but you're billing out at $500 an hour and, and they're, they're taking a $20, $25 an hour job and they're doing it on themselves because they think that they're going to do it and that's the way to do it. And that's a mentality issue. So, so let's come back to the final one, which you said bright and shiny. Talk to me about that. What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, it, just making sure that we stay focused on the goal at hand and implement the proper structures and systems. For many firms, what I see in terms of bright, shiny object is a new practice area, right? We maybe haven't mastered and fully gotten all of our systems in place for our existing practice area. And now we think it's a good idea to go add another practice area because maybe we heard something good about it. Maybe we saw that it's starting to perform at a higher rate because of macroeconomics. And all of a sudden we want to introduce this new practice area. I mean, in my time alone, I've seen a lot of firms make that call and end up regretting it in some way, shape or form. They weren't ready. They weren't ready. They weren't ready. Yeah. Chasing the bright and shiny. They think the grass is greener somewhere else. Right. But the reality is the systems that run the new practice area, the same systems that should have been in place to run the old practice area. I used to say it differently. It used to be before practice areas and before before the pandemic era, everybody thought they needed another office. Oh, well, yeah. Another location. Mm-hmm. I used to say all the time, you want to find out how good your systems are? Go ahead and open up another location. To your point, want to find out how good your systems are? Go ahead and start another practice area. Right. I, it's happened so many times. I, I've lost count at this point. Well, even just in the last year, year and a half alone, because of COVID, you know, caused a lot of firms that had maybe a declining practice area to them shift into a different type of practice area. And it really put the systems to test. Some of them succeeded. Some of them succeeded. But so we're I, not suggesting you shouldn't do it. No, if you've got your systems in place and you're running at optimum and you see an opportunity, I just call that grabbing an opportunity and taking it. But if, if you don't have your systems in place running at optimum, you're just going to speed up the pace at which you find out your systems aren't ready. Yeah, that's a good one. So what about the other bright and shiny stuff like marketing and things like that? I would say there's a good balance, right? Because you don't want to be completely oblivious to all of the tools and resources out there to make marketing more efficient. But you also don't want to get taken down such a rabbit hole that that's now your only focus, right? Yeah, and I think, do you, th- do you think, I'm curious about your opinion, do you think attorneys confuse, they would prefer to just be able to go pay a vendor to get them new leads that'll give them new clients and not pay attention to the sales and selling systems of setting sure. appointments and it, getting the show and getting them the hire, getting the pay? For many attorneys, they don't like doing that in the first place. And secondly, it's easier. It, it's easier for them to do that, which is fine. And I'm not going to argue that maybe there's a little bit more ease to it. But now we don't have a grip on exactly what marketing looks like, what our metrics look like, how many of those leads are turning into appointments, how many of those appointments are showing up, and then how many of those appointments that show up are we actually closing? And I'll tell you, the answer is probably not, oh, if they come into the office, I'll close them, because that's wrong for the most part. Yeah, it's funny. I so I'm calling what you say that the lead conversion machine systems in place. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's let's go with that. So. Sure. Here's, here's what works. Here's, here's how you know you've got it. So I had, now I'm dating myself a little bit, but it is what it is. So when I built the law firm in Phoenix, we had the yellow page salesman come yeah. into the door. Okay. So <laughs> definitely I'm, dating yourself. I'm dating a myself. Bit. Okay. Yeah. So the yellow page guy comes into the door to make the sale. 
we've got the we had the front page and the back page of the yellow pages okay, okay. with front inside cover and back inside covers were actually what we had of the yellow page of the yellow book of all the books in Phoenix, we bought, that's what we bought. And I could tell you, by the way, the difference in conversion between the inside front cover and the inside back cover. I'm sure you could. And so, so I knew the lead conversion machine was in place. I knew exactly what it cost me to create a client. And we found that the Yellow Pages were starting to wane to the point that pay-per-click was taking over and Yellow Pages were starting to barely break even. Got and they were coming back if, if you, you never had to buy Yellow Pages. But you know, when you buy a Yellow Page ad, you're literally like, they send out one book, right? So you have to pay for that ad for the whole year right. so that you only get one print shot. So like, if it's 60 grand for the year, you're paying 60 grand and you're in, right? Yep. And so for the next year, he's got to sell you why you're going to do this again next year. And for many years, Yellow Pages was, was the one thing and you kept upping your game to mm -hmm. buy more, right? Sure. But now all of a sudden it's declining. And so now they realize this and they come in with a pitch. And they pitch me about this guaranteed lead process. Well, they called it impression process because it was, they were tying it together yeah. with the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they gave me this guarantee, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, I go, all right, I'll bite. Tell me what your guarantee is. And they tell me the guarantee. And I get up on my whiteboard and I get my pen and I go, tell me that guarantee again. And it was like, we guarantee you a hundred whatever, right? And I go, okay, a hundred whatever. So we know that those hundred impressions, we get about a 3% click rate on those hundred impressions. And of those hundred, of those three clicks, we convert about one and a half of those into a lead, depending on the landing page. So let's call it one, one of those into a lead. And, and then of those one, probably you know, we're converting 25 to 30%. So we don't even get a client out of this. And so all you're doing is guaranteeing me a pile of crap. Basically. Right. But they, so they try to hide behind these weird guarantees. Impression, and, and impressions, the eyeballs that lay on your stuff. But when you have a lead conversion machine in place, nobody can pull the wool over your eyes. No, especially when you have the, the, the machine in place, plus you know your numbers. Correct. When you know your basic, it's just basic arithmetic, folks. We're not asking you to know advanced calculus here, right? It's just addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division, right? So, uh, and I know that not a lot of attorneys love math. I, I get that. Some <laughs> but it's, it's, we're not talking complex math. Yeah, I mean, some attorneys literally went to law school so they could avoid ever having to deal with math and science. Sure. Again, I, I hear that all the time. Mm -hmm. I get it. But... This isn't complicated. They're intelligent people. They can figure it out, right? And so I'm just saying, look, having a lead conversion machine or not having a lead conversion machine prevents you. Now, let me say it better. If you have a lead conversion machine, it helps you prevent chasing after the bright and shiny because you can tell the frauds from the real opportunities. Very true. To your point, there's got to be a happy mix. Yes. Right. There are times when you should take on the opportunity. Right. Because there's tools out there. There's different marketing tactics out there. And it's always good to test, especially from a marketing perspective. It's always good to test as long as you've got, again, the lead conversion machine in place and know your numbers and know what you're actually testing. Yeah. So we covered three. Uh, well, first we said it was their fault. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry about that. But yeah. And the three reasons we gave them was one knowledge mm -hmm. and then we talked about them being the bottleneck. Bottleneck. And then the final one was that bright, shiny, bright and shiny. So if we can help you overcome that, if you can, if you can know the truth, that's really what our goal was today to help you know the truth. If you know the truth, well, then you could do something about it. True. Right. And so we're not calling you out. We're not, 
you know, calling the baby ugly. We're just saying this is the reality of what we find after dealing with thousands and thousands of firms through the years, right? Yeah. So I, I hope this was helpful to you. Hope it inspired you to take a look. And we've talked about the gentleman's agreement. Yeah, again, if you found value in today's session, go ahead and hit that subscribe button or that follow button, depending on the platform you're listening to. Turn those bell notifications on. Comment. We love to engage with that. And if you found it super valuable, share it with a peer. Yeah. All right. Hey, today was a good show. Today was a good show. Yeah, I love it. Thanks for tuning in. All right. Thanks.